We are starting a new series this morning. Uh, we finished up going through Peter, and uh, this one is going to be, I, I don't know, four to six weeks, we'll see. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you the topic and also how we arrived at it. Um, and I'll tell you this, it's going to be, uh, I hope, very practical, and there will be homework. Uh, now, I don't often give homework, but uh, to be practical, I'm going to have to give homework. It's not going to be super hard or long homework, you know, half an hour, an hour a week. You ought to be able to get it done, but, uh, but there will be, so, you know, be ready. Uh, anyway, um, we're going to begin a series talking just about uh, hearing God and being led by the Spirit, because I am confident that's what God wants to talk about. Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, I will, because there's nothing less fun than trying to figure out on Tuesday what you're going to talk about on Sunday. Uh, so I will try and ask God ahead of time what he wants to talk about. So uh, while we were going through Peter months ago, I was praying about what's after that. I'm always trying to stay one topic ahead, uh, if God will allow. And uh, he kept, and this was months ago, this is actually probably had this before the end of last year, um, that, that I knew the next thing we were going to talk about was this. He kept poking me with John 10, 27 and Romans 8, 14. Uh, just a quick reminder, you probably know these, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And so he kept poking me with these two things. Uh, that, and the sense I had was that in this season, uh, God wants me to work with you guys on uh, pursuing hearing God and being led by His Spirit in a greater way. Everyone, not just, you know, the spiritual people, right? <laughs> so, uh, but the other thing was, uh, I kept thinking about youth retreats we used to do in the past. We used to do these youth uh, uh in, I think it was in 92 or 93, God told me to do a prayer retreat. Uh, no fun stuff. Take the youth. We're going to give them a weekend of prayer and worship and intimacy with God. And I thought, well, you know, the, the few who want to go will sign up and whatever. And even at that time, Pastor Jim said, are you sure you don't want to add something on to that? I'm like, no, I, just, I really feel like I'm just supposed to do this. So we did. We had like 80 youth show up. It blew up. God was, some of you... Uh, who are parents now and have your own kids, I remember were there at that first one. Right, Becky? Um, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. It, God's more fun than stuff. Uh, so um, we, we did that, and it ended up being so much fun that we did it every year for like 20 years. It was a high point of the year where we just take the kids, and we would like take their cell phones and make them talk to no one but God for a whole morning and, you know, stuff like that. And they thought it was great. Anyway, I kept thinking about that. That kept coming to mind uh, about how we would do practical things to train them that they could hear God, that they could be led by the Spirit. Um, and I'll, I'll talk more about that uh, probably in the future. But one of the things we did was on this prayer retreat, we'd go in, uh, it was a Friday night and a Saturday, and we'd come home really late Saturday and, and drag into church exhausted and sleep through the sermon. So, um, you know. So that's why, you know, feel free. I deserve it. Uh, anyway, uh, we would come in on, on a Friday night. We'd have some worship and a teaching. And then on Saturday, we'd have breakfast. And I'd give them, which you'll see later, I'll give them this little assignment, things to ask, things to read and things to ask God. And I'd send them off. We were up at Teen Missions where there's just acres and acres of nothing but water and marsh and alligators. So it was real safe. And they could go wherever they wanted. And they'd wander off and climb trees and stuff. And the only rule was you aren't allowed to talk to anybody but God at all between lunch or between breakfast and lunch. So for like three hours, they couldn't talk to anyone but God. And the, the high point, though, was, well, the high point actually was that Saturday night we get together for a, a meeting and God always just blew it up and wild things were happening. We had, yeah, it just... It would take too long to describe it. It was wild. It was fun. Um, God would move. Uh, but the high point for me was they had this big, we called it the treehouse. It's just a, about a 10-foot high platform, but it would hold 80 youth. It was huge. 
out in the middle of nowhere. So we would go out there and we'd meet in the afternoon and I'd ask them all, we'd just spend about two hours processing, what did you hear? And they would, they'd written down, they'd tell me, and they'd begin to get excited as they saw that they were hearing the same things and they'd begin to confirm what each other heard and that God's telling them, uh, you know, and so they would begin to realize, hey, I heard God and they got excited about it. So that kept coming to mind, that practical. And I'm going, I don't know how to do that on a Sunday morning, God. Uh, so we may do some creative things. I have no idea. But, uh, you know, there's a practical element to this where God wants us to practice. And so that's the homework part. Anyway, I mentioned the youth thing because um, this, is, this gives me confidence. Um, Stuart has been, I don't know if he just likes me mentioning him in our sermons because he keeps coming up. But uh, he came up last week and come up again this week. So somewhere, I think, I don't remember when it was. Maybe it was in January. I don't know. Uh, so I've already been thinking all the stuff I just told you, right? And Stuart, I think he texted me and he said, hey, I feel like I've got this word or direction for Church on the Rock. He says, uh, the Lord wants Church on the Rock to begin to contend for the prophetic again. And I went, okay. Now, we still value the prophetic when we do that, but there's a place where you press into this, right? The prophetic is just hearing God and saying what he said and trying to do it with his heart and with some accuracy. So he said, I feel like we're supposed to contend for the prophetic again, that the Lord, and this is in your notes so you can have this and pray into this, that the Lord wants to stir faith and to activate uh, in a fresh way in this season, that it's a, it's a season, it's a right now thing where God wants his people to contend for hearing him more, okay? And then he said this. He said, I was remembering it was like at youth. And I went, well, that's interesting. That's the same thing God's been poking me with. Uh, it was like at youth where we would, we would show them they could hear God, where they, where they would get hope and clarity about their gifting and what God thinks about them, which was a lot of what happened at those retreats. They would get clarity about what God wanted to use them in and about what God thought about them. A lot of them uh, were surprised at how well God thought of them. They didn't think as well of them as God did, right? And so uh, they would learn this. And so uh, the reason this was encouraging to me, and I hope it was encouraging to you, is because I go, look, I was going to do this anyway. God had already, I was convinced that this is where God wanted me to go. But this confirmation is cool because now I'm really convinced. And uh, it's it's kind of like when God says, verily, verily, I really mean it, uh, that he really wants us to press into hearing him and being led by his spirit, each of us, right? And so the starting point is believing that you can hear God. And so the reason I shared that confirmation is I want you to believe that you can hear God. Now, let me make this very clear. Not that I can hear God or that Pastor Gary can hear God or that the people on the prayer team can hear God, or that theoretically, on that rare occasion, if God really, really wants to, and there's no one else around, you can hear God. I mean, I want you to believe you can hear God about your life, just like everybody else, all the time. Or well, not all the time, but you know what I mean, at any given time, right? And so... We have to believe this. If we don't believe this, we won't get any farther. So I want to start with just believing uh, that, you know, he meant it, John 10, 27 and Romans 8, 14, that we can hear God, that we can be led by his spirit, that all of us can do this. Even if you just got saved last week, you might not be that good at it. You'll probably do some stupid things. It's okay. That's how we learned. Uh, that's still how we're learning sometimes. You can do this. Amen. So what I want to do today is we're just going to look at John 10, 27. It's a really short verse. Uh, amazingly, I'm going to get a whole sermon out of it. So um, John 10 in context first. Let's look, at, uh, let's look at the conversations going on before we focus in on the verse, okay? So in context, what has happened in, in John chapter 9 Jesus has healed a man born blind. He was born blind. He's now somewhere in his 30s. He's not blind anymore. Everybody in the neighborhood knew he was blind, and then he's not blind anymore, and so it's making kind of a big deal. And 
Uh, the Pharisees are having, uh, they're very concerned. They're having conflict over this. Uh, and they've kicked the man out of, uh, out of the synagogue because he had the audacity to correct them or to question them uh, about, you know, this guy who healed him. And they're trying to figure this out because they, they really don't want Jesus to be the guy, but they're having a hard time with uh, uh, that it's clear that he's just healed a man born blind. And this is messing with their theology. Does Jesus ever mess with your theology? Anyway, so chapter 10 is Jesus largely responding to the Pharisees in this conflict. And he starts out by identifying himself. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'm going to paraphrase. You feel free to go read it on your own at another time. He starts out saying, uh, he identifies himself in verse 2 as the shepherd, and in verse 7 as the door to the sheepfold. So he says, I'm the shepherd, and also, I'm the door. The only way in is through me. Anyone who comes in another way is a thief, right? Keep that in mind, because the Pharisees are looking to come in another way. Now, he also says in verse 4 that he starts talking about his sheep, and he says, they follow me, and they know my voice. They follow me, and they know my voice. I want you to understand that he's talking about uh, communication, relationship, intimacy, right? My sheep follow me, they know my voice. They've been around me enough, they know my voice, right? So then he goes on, and he, and he kind of breaks down how some of this happens. He says in verse 3, and I'm going to lean on this, so keep this in mind as we go further. He leads them individually, specifically that he calls them by name. I want you to understand this. It's one thing for God or me or Pastor Gary or Brian or anyone else to get up here and lead a crowd. It's another thing to lead each of you by name, isn't it? You do this. You do this. You do this. You, know, you go along on two. Ready, break, right? So that's what he does. He's calling the place. He leads each of us by name. It's an individual leadership. What's amazing is how he'll knit all that together into a cohesive action where we discover as we're following Jesus that, oh, I'm connecting with other people who he told to do stuff, right? So uh, important that we get that he leads us individually, that he calls us by name, each of us individually. And it's important that we understand the direction he wants to lead us. And, and again, this sounds simple, but people get hung up on this. Uh, it, you know verse 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, I have come, they might have life and have it more abundantly. So he's saying, I'm leading my sheep, and I'm trying to lead them towards abundant life. I'm not leading them off cliffs. I'm not testing them by seeing, by making trees fall on them and seeing if they listen to me and move out of the way, right? We can get weird theology on this. He goes, I'm leading them towards abundant life, all right? I'm trying to take care of them. I'm not abusing the sheep. I'm leading them towards abundant life. If, if you're seeing killing, stealing, and destroying, that's the other guy. That's the guy who came in as a thief. In fact, he says, I'm so good, I'm the good shepherd, verse 11, I give my life for the sheep, right? I so want them to have abundant life that I'll lay down my life for their life. Y'all understand that. And he says also, the good shepherd knows his sheep and is known by them, verse 14. Now, does God know you? Is he known by you? See, that's the thing. Is it reciprocal? Because that's intimacy. Uh, it's one thing for uh, you to know someone. It's another thing for them to choose to know you back. Right? So he says it's very important that we get this. Um, I know my sheep and they know me. We experience uh, communication and intimacy. And then I find this interesting in verse 15. He compares this relationship kind of to his relationship with the Father. He says, I know my sheep and they know me. He goes, and by the way, uh, I know the Father and the Father knows me. 
So it's kind of like that. It makes me think of, uh, we talked about this, went through Ephesians, Ephesians 1.6, where uh, uh, Paul says we are accepted in the beloved. Are you accepted in the beloved? Do you know what the beloved is? The beloved is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who have for eternity dwelt in incredible intimacy and communication and unity and relationship. And you didn't get invited to serve them, even though we do. You got invited to be a part of the family. You got accepted in the beloved. You got brought into an intensely intimate family relationship. You get that? So that's what he's talking about here. He even, he even draws on, this is like my relationship with the Father, the way we know each other. I want that relationship with my sheep, right? So uh, that covers the first part of chapter 10, and then the Pharisees start talking again. Now, the Pharisees have had enough of talking about sheep, and uh, they just want to know so they can know whether or not to throw rocks at them or not. So... Uh, the Pharisees demand that he tell them plainly. They just, on verse 24, look, would you just tell us if you're the Christ or not? Uh, quit beating around the bush, right? And uh, so the Pharisees say, would you just tell us the truth? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, you want the truth? And they say, we want the truth. And he says, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> it's right there. Read it. Because you're not my sheep, right? So what he says is, the Pharisees are going, would you just tell us? And he says, look, I made it clear, guys. You can't hear me because you're not my sheep. doesn't say hearing him makes us his sheep. It says we become his sheep and then we hear him. You can't, you're not my sheep. You haven't come under me. You don't want to follow me. You don't recognize who I am. You can't even hear me. Right? So he says, you can't hear me because you're not my sheep. And then, uh, just to make it even more clear, in verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one, which sends them over the edge. In verse 31 through 33, they start picking up stones. They're going to stone him. He goes, uh, hey, I'm doing lots of good works here. I healed a guy who was born blind. For which of these good works are you going to stone me? And they said, none of those, but because you being a man claim to be God. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. The Pharisees will tell you different. They will go, oh, yes, he did, while they're tossing a rock. And we, we're going to stone him for it, except for he keeps disappearing, and every time we try and stone him, we can't get it done, which is what happens here. So what I want you to see is this. In verse 30, he says, I and my Father are one. He is talking about a relational paradigm to a religious-minded group of people, and they can't hear it, right? Hear me, church. He's talking about, look, me and the Father are one. Uh, I, I, I know the Father, and the Father knows me. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I'm talking about a relational paradigm, and uh, I'm talking about a paradigm where there is communication. We know each other, and they know my voice, Right? And the Pharisees have a religious-minded paradigm. Uh, we have rules and we follow the rules. People do what we say. We don't get input from people. If blind guys who start seeing start giving us input, we kick them out. We ain't having that. We don't do communication. We do rules. Right? Now, no one does that anymore at church, right? Okay. So I really want you to get this. The whole point of chapter 10 is, look, uh, this is about intimacy. This is about communication. This is not about just being in the right place, doing the right things. And the Pharisees couldn't hear that because they weren't his sheep. Now, in that context, let's talk about John 10, 27. And he makes three simple statements. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So let's look at each one of those. First, my sheep, hear my voice. Uh, let me tell you this. 
hearing his voice is more about attitude than aptitude. Uh, you, it's not about uh, how good I am at hearing or uh, some technique, okay? It's about my attitude, or in other words, my desire to hear him, my desire to listen. When I say it's about attitude, he's basically saying those who hear my voice are those who want to listen to me. So you don't need an aptitude. You don't need some kind of skill to hear his voice. You need the right attitude. I want to hear his voice. I want to be led by his spirit. Does this make sense? Because we hear with our hearts. Now, I've known of people who have heard the audible voice of the Lord. I hear stories, one person in a hundred, and that happens to them once or twice in their lifetime. So yeah, that happens, but if you're waiting for that, uh, not a high percentage. Okay? Um, and that'd be great. I'd love to hear the audible voice of the Lord. Never has happened to me. And I think I'd love it. It might just make me wet myself. I don't know. <laughs> but even that would be good, right? It'd be the best excuse ever for... Anyway, we hear with our hearts. Matthew 13, 13 through 15. Just want to look at this. We're going to look at some verses where we talk about hearing. He says, therefore, this is Jesus, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now he's referencing prophetic passages out of Isaiah, by the way. And in them, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Oh, I guess I could have just kept reading. Um, and in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. What's grown dull? Their heart. You see, he's going to make a clear connection here between our hearts and hearing with our ears and seeing with our eyes. We hear Jesus with our hearts. Their hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. You see it? So we hear with our hearts. It's about having a heart attitude postured towards desiring to hear his voice and to be led by his spirit and to follow him. If we don't have that attitude, we'll end up in the place that he's talking about here where we have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear. Now, the fact that he talks about, therefore I speak to them in parables, uh, kind of ties into this. Remember the Pharisees? Their complaint was, would you just tell us plainly and quit talking in parables? We don't like these parables. We have to go do homework. I have to look things up. I have to think about what you said. It's annoying. Right? See, I suspect, whereas the Pharisees, they just want the info. Just tell us. Just, God, just tell me what I want to do. Is there just a book on seven steps how to hear you? Can I just buy that? Right? No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't just want to do that, would we? The whole purpose of the parables is that they take effort to understand. They require us to enter into, hear me, a process with God where we sit down with the parable and go, God, what do you mean? And what's happening now? We're dialoguing with the one who knows us and wants to be known by us, who, uh, the one who says, my sheep, hear my voice. We're dialoguing with him over his word. The whole point of parables is to bring us into dialogue with God, to bring us into communication, to force us to go deeper into intimacy to understand what in the world he's saying, right? And so the Pharisees don't have the patience for it, and it's the very process that God is after. That's why sometimes we, I think, don't get the answers we want as quickly as we want because God's enjoying the intimacy on the way and the process and the pressing in. Amen? So, we hear with our hearts. In Hebrews 3, we see another verse that talks about how we hear with our hearts, verses 12 through 15. Uh, 
the writer of Hebrews says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Again, that resides in our hearts. In departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, what gets hardened? Yeah, everybody remember Pharaoh? It's our hearts that get hardened. So we have to watch it. The deceitfulness of sin can cause us to have hard hearts. And if our heart gets hardened, it will affect our hearing God, right? And so he says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice. You want to hear his voice? You sure? If you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as in the rebellion. Right? So he says, if you want to hear his voice, it's about your heart. We hear with our hearts. Or in other words, we have a choice. Now, one of Jesus' favorite phrases is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You guys remember reading that? He says it a bunch. He says it after a bunch of the parables. He would tell a parable, and they'd say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the, the Pharisees would go, God, more homework. Right? I gotta go try and figure out what this, right? Yeah. Have you ever done that? God, I don't know what this means. I'm just gonna read somewhere else. <laughs> I told Rachel one time, I started realizing all the passages in the Bible that were hard for me to understand. Uh, I would, after a while, something would happen where God would give me revelation, and it would be the coolest thing. And I started going, you know, I just put X's on all these for treasure here. I just have to dig, right? Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, Jesus said this after a bunch of his parables. Every single letter in Revelation, seven letters in Revelation, yeah, seven letters in Revelation, uh, every single one of them ends with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, you choose. Here's truth, you choose, right? So it's a choice, and there is no neutral position in this choice. Uh, I love the term Mike Bickle uses. He talks about us having a yes in our heart. So uh, again, we're talking about a heart postured towards hearing God. So every time I read the scripture or God speaks, I have to choose, am I going to have a yes in my heart, even though I might wince and go, ooh, I don't want to do that, or ooh, that hurts, but yes, God. Or am I going to harden my heart? Because we must do one or the other. There is no neutral. We either embrace that word and let it come into us and give us life, even if it's hard, or we step back from it and harden ourselves a little bit to it and go, that's a hard saying, Lord. Remember John 6? That's a hard saying, Lord. Who can understand? And many of his disciples quit following him that day. They hardened their hearts because they couldn't, they couldn't understand what in the world he meant by eat my flesh and drink my blood. So they quit following him. Remember? So, second page in the notes. We need to develop a hearing heart. And I use the word develop intentionally because it doesn't happen overnight. It comes with time. Now, if we're going to develop a hearing heart, in a second I'm going to talk about uh, how we're proactive about doing that, but we also have to guard against the things that would contaminate our heart, like the deceitfulness of sin, right? So Proverbs 4.23, you've heard this before, says guard your heart. Or guard your heart because out of it flows the issues of life. So guard your heart because your heart uh, will determine the issues of life for you, right? Now, he specifically, in, in Mark chapter 8, he's, he's on, a, on a run. I think he does three parables in Mark chapter 8. One of them is uh, the parable of the sower about the word. Um, and he ends one of those parables with, uh, verse 15, then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of Mark 4. I don't know, he was talking about something different in Mark 8. Skip all that, we'll talk about it again in a minute. Um, in Mark 8, he's talking to them 
uh, he's telling them to bring bread, and they don't understand whether he's being spiritual or practical at this point, and so they don't get it. But he says, he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven, remember, is something that you put a little bit in and it spreads, right? And it works its way through. And we're supposed to do that with faith, right? But uh, the leaven of the Pharisees we just talked about is a religious mindset. It's not about relationships, about rules, about doing things right. Uh, and you better do things right, or, you know, you're going home. We're kicking you out of the synagogue. The leaven of Herod, Herod was the political ruler, the secular ruler of the time. So it's worldly voices. So he's saying that, first of all, we have to guard our heart, and we have to specifically guard it against these two things, uh, voices that will bring us into a religious practice uh, over a relationship practice and voices, worldly voices that will veer us off the track, the deceitfulness of sin, right? So, you know, you got to guard your heart against those. Uh, the more we listen to those, the harder it will be for us to hear with our hearts what God is saying. Just that simple. Now, if we want to develop a hearing heart, we have to begin with the written word. And you probably know this, in the New Testament, there's two words commonly used for word. One is logos, which means the written word. One is rhema, which means kind of a right now spoken prophetic word. And, and you can look up which verses are which ones when you're looking into where it uses the word word. Um, but I want you to understand, uh, we want to get, uh, we want to be good with both. Both are progressive. The more we do it, the better we get at it. But we want to get to both. We don't just want to be good with the logos. We want to have rhema, have revelation, have a word that God can speak to us. For example, there's nothing in your Bible telling you whether or not to take that job in Mississippi, right? You need a rhema word for that. Do I take this job, God? Right. So we want to be able to do that stuff too. Now, uh, so... I want you to see from Scripture that the written word is where we begin. Uh, Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14, says, uh, whom we had, he's talking about Melchizedek in here. That's who he's talking about, of whom we have much to say. But then he goes off on a tangent and talks about why it's hard for them to understand. Uh, he says, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, what makes us dull of hearing? Dull hearts, Right. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word there is logos, uh, the scriptures. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use or practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so what he's saying is if you're dull of hearing, the remedy is to get more exercise in the Word of God, right? In the Logos. So that's always our starting point, to get exercise in the Word of God, to have your senses exercised to discern good and evil, to spend time in the Word of righteousness, to become skilled in it, uh, so that by reason of use, you uh, become good. And, and remarkably, you'll find progressively you're less dull of hearing. All right? It's pretty simple, isn't it? And so we don't just do the word to stories or to fulfill some obligation. I'm going to read a chapter a day because I told God I would. Uh, we're looking at this to give us a hearing heart, to develop in us a hearing heart. Amen? Now, here's the other thing about it being progressive. And again, Matthew chapter 4, this is, I was thinking this, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4, I was thinking this when we talked about Mark 8 earlier. Here is where he's telling two or three parables. One of them is the parable of the sower. And after one of the parables, he does that phrase that he likes, uh, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he said to them, take heed what you hear, for with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear more will be given. It's almost as if he's saying, 
the more you listen, the more I'll talk. Right? To you who hear, more will be given. And so it's progressive. And if, if God speaks and I'm listening, uh, then it causes him to take me deeper and to speak again. And I learn to speak, or I learn to hear in a greater way. Now, here is a practical point. This is so simple and huge and really easy to understand, and, and, and I forget to do it a lot of times. Um, and so I'm reminding myself. But guys, I'm telling you, this is huge. This is an awesome, simple tool. If you want to develop a hearing heart, simply practice dialoguing with him over his word. I'm telling you, uh, he likes to talk about his word. The Holy Spirit likes to talk about Scripture. Um, a lot of the times I've heard God, just like on this teaching, uh, is when I'm looking at a Scripture and I'm thinking about it and I just begin to dialogue with Him over it. So you're reading your Bible, you're doing your daily reading, whatever. You, you know, you're reading a few verses a day. You just stop and talk with Him about it. You just have a conversation. God, what do you mean by this? God, I says here that I'm accepted in the Beloved. Uh, can you show me more? Tell me more about how the Beloved interact. Uh, what does that feel like to you, God? What does that mean for me? Right? And you just begin to dialogue. God, I don't understand this. Uh, I don't understand this parable, God. What does this mean? Uh, why is this important? That word stands out to me, God. Why is that? I'm telling you, uh, just start poking him about Scripture. Just start dialoguing over Scripture, and he will speak to you. One of the coolest revelations I ever had, I, I told you about it on, in John 17, where I was just being snarky and said, God, I don't understand how this is going to happen. But I'm reading John 17, and I'm reading a specific verse, and I go, I don't understand how this is going to happen. And he told me. I went, oh, cool. I didn't even know, I didn't even know we were talking. <laughs> right? He likes to talk about his word. I'm telling you, play with this. It might seem weird or uh, unfruitful at first, but it will not stay that way. Trust me. He will talk to you. He will dialogue with you over his word. Amen? In fact, if you look to the end of your notes, that's going to be your homework, so stick with it. All right. Second thing he says, my sheep hear my voice, and two, I know them. This speaks of personal leadership. What we talked about in verse 3, I know them by name, and they follow me, right? So, uh, personal leadership. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. Now, here's what this means. I love teaching about hearing God, but I always feel super inadequate uh, because I can't tell you how to hear God, because only God can tell you how he's going to speak to you. You understand that? I have a friend who, now God is very gentle with me because, I don't know, it's my nature. Um, I have a friend who's just a tough guy, very prophetic, and uh, God speaks to him in whole different ways. In fact, um, I had him tell me one time, and I'm trying to be tactful, and he said, just, would you just, I just want the two by four. Quit beating around the bush and just tell me what's bugging you. And he likes that. And so you know what? God speaks to him that way. God doesn't speak to me that way because that would bug me. He, he speaks to each of us differently according to the way he made us. You understand. Some people hear, I pay attention to this when people hear God. I pay attention to how they do because I'm trying to process it. Uh, some people hear uh, God uses pictures to speak to them. They'll see things and God talks to them. Some people get dreams. Some people get mental pictures. Some people get word puns. God likes to speak to them in word puns. I've seen all those. Some of you are here sitting right now, and you're nodding your head going, yeah, that one's me, right? So here's the thing. I can't tell you how God's going to talk to you. Just that he will. You have to get into it with him and find out. Because it's personal leadership. I know them. Now, here's the good news. To me, there's tremendous assurance in that because I don't have to be like you. 
which is wonderful. You ever felt like you had to be like someone else? I used to go submit myself to evangelists. They'd take me out in weird places and put Gospels of John in my back pocket and shove me into bars and I'd talk to strange people. I was trying my best to be an evangelist. You know, I'm not called, by the way, to be an evangelist. I'm called to be a teacher. Now, it doesn't mean I can't share the gospel. I can. But it was always awkward and weird. And uh, this is like that. I don't have to be them. Right? I finally realized, oh, I can just be Tony. I can do the things God told me to do. There's tremendous assurance and a freedom in that. So if you can hear God... You can be led by his spirit, and you don't have to do it like I do it, or like Gary does it, or like anyone else does it. You don't have to add syllables to words. You don't have to speak in a deeper voice. <laughs> right? You don't have to act spiritual. You can just be you. Isn't that nice? Isn't that freeing? So, guys, we got to get that. Because, uh, again, these things sound very simple, but... Uh, there's a tremendous uh, need for the church to understand this. Uh, I just see people getting caught in comparing and trying to, well, I need to be more like them, or I need to do better, or oh, I wish I had, or whatever. I go, just, would you just talk to God and figure out why you're special and go be that? And quit paying attention to why everyone else is more special than you. We're all equally special in every sense of the word. Amen? All right, so I really, I know this is so simple, but I feel like I just want to hammer on it more uh, because this is a trap we fall into. And we, if we get free, if we get real free about just being who we are, then, you know, like I'm, uh, you know, you're in worship and people are dancing around you, and how many of you have done, don't raise your hands, you know, oh, God wants me to dance, I don't want to dance, I'm not a good Christian right? Like, I just, I, I, I'm over it. I, just, I don't want to dance. I'm going to kneel. I like kneeling. You dance. I don't care. Right? You never go the other way around. You guys quit dancing and kneel with me. Right? One's not more spiritual than the other. Just be who you are. All right. Uh, just all right, I think, is that enough? You guys got it? Okay. So, in order to do this, in order to know him, we need to develop intimacy, obviously. And you know how to do that. I'm not going to do a whole teaching on how we develop intimacy. Worship, prayer, the word, just drawing near to God. But I do want you uh, to see that we need to develop intimacy. In Psalm 32, I love this passage, verses 8 and 9, he says, I will instruct you I will teach you in the way you should go. Now, that's all of us. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach us, right? He's the teacher. He will remind us of things Jesus said. This is in Psalms, but it's the same concept. And he says, I will guide you with my eye. You ever done that? Those of you who've played sports have all done this. You know, and then, you know, go along, right? You know how to communicate with your eyes. Or those of you who had children have all done this, right? Right? I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. God's going, look, I want you to come near me. If you insist on keeping your distance from me, I'm perfectly willing to throw a rope on you and drag you where I want you. Like a horse or a mule. But I would like to guide you with my eyes. I'd like to do it out of intimacy, right? Reminds me of James 4.8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Amen? So that's how he would like to do it. And uh, I don't know, again, I'm careful with this because I don't know how God's going to speak to you. I'll just give you an example of how he taught me to hear him. Um, when The first few times, or for the first couple of years, when I'm hearing God, there would be something with it. God would say something, and I'd, I'd feel something, you know, in my spirit. I'd feel a little tingle or whatever, you know. Um, and, that's, and, I, and I could tell it was God. But after a couple of years of that, he started winning me off that. Now, 
it is super subtle. It is like a little whisper here. It just sort of floats up, and I have to stop and focus in on it and pay attention to it, or I'll miss it. It's almost like someone talks quieter to get you to really press in, get right in their face, you know. Never happened? So that's what he did with me. I don't know what he's going to do with you, but it got very subtle. And I have to really, I have to really kind of tune into it and focus on it for a while. Um, so we'll see. But he wants to be able to guide us with his eye, with relationship. Now, this could easily be not only a whole other teaching, a whole other series. I'm, I've taught on it in the past. I'm going to resist that for now, uh, going down this rabbit trail. But I do want to say this. You will not be able to develop intimacy if you don't have confidence in his love for you. You just won't. Um, and the opposite of this is fear. If you, you can read about this in 1 John 4, uh, the contrast between fear and the revelation of his love for us. In Ephesians 3, uh, Paul prays that we would have a revelation of his love, that we would be filled with his fullness. You have to be confident in his love. Now, developing intimacy with him will reinforce that confidence in his love. But if you struggle with that, this is going to be hard for you. And so you may need to start there by just, just dialoguing with God over scriptures that talk about his love for you and just keep telling him, God, help me understand this. Show me this, God. All right? But you have to, you won't be able to develop intimacy if you are not confident in his love for you. And I want to say this also, uh, just in case. Hearing God is not a test and it is not a contest. It is a personal relationship. God is not testing you. He's not, you know, uh, walk over there and talk to that guy. Do it now, do it now, do it now. This is a test. <laughs> right? We laugh because it's happened to us. You know, step on the brakes. Oh, I've got to talk to them. What do I say, God? I don't know. Right? Very rarely is God in as big a hurry as you think. There's almost always time to sit and go in dialogue with God over it. Really? Am I supposed to talk to them? What am I supposed to talk to them about? Right? He's not testing us with whether or not we can hear him. It's not a contest. I don't care if you hear God better than I do or differently than I do. We're not competing. He loves me just as much as he loves you, so there. <laughs> it's a personal relationship. And so we have to keep that in mind that we're developing intimacy, we're not developing a gift. We're not developing, uh, we're not proving that we're Christians. We're not developing a gift and trying to be more gifted than the people around us. We're just developing a personal relationship with the shepherd of our souls. Amen? All right, let's get to the third one because I only got about 10 minutes left. I think I can do it. Um, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So, uh, so far, we're developing a hearing heart. We're developing intimacy. I want you to remember those things. That's why I put them in bold in your notes. And we'll have to develop something on this one too. Now, they follow me is more about intention than accuracy. I am not a great follower. Jesus is an amazing leader. Right? You don't have to be a real good follower. You just have to have real good intentions. Now, this is what I mean. It's more about his ability to lead than your abilities to do anything. He's just a good leader. We just have to pay attention uh, or want to. And here's what I mean about intention. Again, we're back to the heart. Um, it's going to talk about in a minute developing a disciple's heart. But uh, let me put it this way. I love John 7:18. This is one of the verses I always use when I'm teaching on the, on the prophetic. What's going on in uh, John 7 is... Um, some of the religious leaders are questioning Jesus about his academic qualifications. Uh, his guy doesn't even know the letters. How do you know this stuff? Right? You haven't even been to seminary. I can't believe you're up here teaching. And Jesus says, well, here's the deal. Uh, he who speaks for himself seeks his own glory. But see, he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So what he's saying there is, you can trust my doctrine because it's not about, I'm not making it about me. I'm making it about the Father. I'm not putting myself in it. 
And that, uh, to me, has been the challenge in hearing God and in the prophetic, is uh, that little phrase, he who speaks from himself. It is so easy for me to put a little bit of me in what I hear or what I say. I'll give you some examples. I wrote some down here while I was thinking earlier. Um, I can speak from myself in these ways. I can speak from my fears. I can speak from my desires. I can speak from my pet doctrines. I can speak from my wounding. I can speak from my pride or from my experiences. All right? And so what this verse is saying is, to the highest degree I can, my intentions need to be to speak from God's heart, not from myself. And so the trick is not getting a better technique for following God. The trick is examining my heart, my intentions, and trying to remove as much of me as possible. Does that make sense? And I have found that that works. In fact, um, I do what I call the 51% rule. Again, this is very practical and you guys can feel free to borrow this if you ever have to hear God about a decision in your life. All right? Here's the 51% rule. I do not worry about my technique for hearing God. I, I will tell you this. It's, I, I try and worship and get in a place of peace first because it's a whole lot easier to hear God from peace than from the stress of making a decision. Right? And so I'll get in that place, and then I go, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try and use the right technique to hear you. I'm going to examine the intentions of my heart and make sure I'm willing to hear anything. Make sure I'm not putting me in it. I'm willing to hear yes. I'm willing to hear no. I'm willing to hear do it. I'm willing to hear not do it. I'm making sure that I'm good on anyone. And then I'm going to ask you to lead me. Now, I am so confident in his leadership, this is why I call it the 51% rule, is at the end of the day, when I have to make a decision, uh, if I'm 90-10, awesome, I'm going with it. If I'm 51-49, I'm going with it, and I'm going with it with the same level of confidence. Because I don't need uh, to be sure that I heard God. I just need to be sure I've set my heart right. And then leading's his job and his problem. And if I'm 51-49, I'm going, okay, God, it's decision time. I'm 51-49. Here we go. And if I make the wrong decision, I'm not going to feel bad because my intention was to follow God. That makes sense? So I don't feel any guilt over it. And if, if I, I find out later it looks like maybe that was a mistake, I just go, all right, God, uh, I made a mistake there maybe. But I don't care. I was trying to follow you. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm here because you want me here. I'm not going to stress over it. You're the leader. I'm just trying to follow you. All I can do, I can't make myself hear God any better. All I can do is make my heart right to hear God. Right? And so, that's why I say it's more about intention than accuracy. And I, I like the 51% rule, and it's served me pretty well so far. Now, so if we're going to follow him... We need to develop a disciple's heart. Now, the word disciple means learner or follower. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to follow him. Uh, I love how people tell me, you know, um, you know, I, I, I just need to be discipled. Uh, can you call me in? I go, no, no, no. Jesus didn't call people. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm going over there. If you're my disciple, you'll follow me. I said, you show up. I give a free counseling session every Sunday morning. <laughs> right? I'm not going to call you. You show up. That's what discipleship is. You follow. Discipleship isn't me coming and chasing you down and making sure you're doing it. That, yeah, that is something else. That is going after the one uh, that's lost. So, you know, if you want me to chase you, you're kind of casting yourself as the one. Why don't you be one of the 99 and just follow the shepherd? Just saying. So, disciple, we need to be learners, followers. We need to be intentional about developing a disciple's heart. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of verses on being disciples. Matthew 16, 24, one of my favorites. 
If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, here's what I mean about being intentional. At any given situation in your life, uh, you can decide, am I going to take up my cross and deny myself and follow him? So I'm confronted with a decision. Uh, this job or this job, this job has more money, and these people are mean, and these people are nice. I really want this job. God, uh, I'm willing to hear you on either one. Am I really willing to hear you on either one? What if God wants me to stay here because I'm a witness? And he's going to take care of me some other way. I don't know. But we want to be led by the Spirit. And so being intentional is going, but I will deny myself and take up my cross and follow you. Usually it's more commonly in, God, I really want to, you know, do this thing. Uh, this person's being a jerk, and, I, uh, and can I? And God goes, no, take up your cross. Follow me. Be a disciple. And I have to be intentional and go, okay, I'm going to be nice to that person. I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to correct that. I'm not going to whatever. So day by day, we have these decisions where we have to decide, am I intentional? Am I going to intentionally take up my cross and deny myself and follow him? The deny myself is the hard part right? Because we all have what we want. Uh, Luke 14.33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We want to be his disciple, right? So it means we have to forsake all that we have. It doesn't mean we can't have anything. It means we can't have anything we're not willing to give to him. So uh, am I willing to forsake, again, that job or moving to that place or staying here or doing that or, or whatever? Uh, here's one, young people. Sometimes it's a person. Am I willing to hold that loosely? God, I really want to marry that girl. I really want to marry that guy. And uh, if you're a disciple, you'll let God tell you yes or no. You'll let him tell you no. You know why? Because if you've you're his sheep, and you've come to know his voice, and you've come to trust him and follow him as a disciple, then you know whatever his answer is, it's leading you towards abundant life. And you so trust in his leadership that you would rather hear no about a person you really want than get your way. Now, without raising hands, I see nods. Anyone, anyone in here understand that? All right. That's just real life stuff, guys. And so we have to develop a disciple's heart, a heart that says, I'm even willing to deny myself, to um, forsake all that I have. It's more important to me to follow you and trust you and to believe that wherever you're leading me, it's into abundance. It's into an abundant life. So I want your way. I don't want to figure it out on my own. Uh, many young people reach that conclusion. God, you pick. I'm not doing a good job here. <laughs> you pick one for me. And he will. And he'll show you. So, does this make sense? All right. These are kind of simple concepts, but they're deep in the sense that the application of them requires diligence on our part. Right? And so I just want to bring you back to focus. If we want to hear God, and we do, and God wants us to hear him, we have to do these things. We have to develop a hearing heart. We have to develop intimacy with Jesus. We have to develop a disciple's heart where we're willing to lay down our desires uh, because we trust uh, <clears throat> his leadership will lead to more life than our desires will. Amen? Amen? So here's your homework. Sometime in the next week, between now and next Sunday, uh, you, need, you need to set apart like a whole half hour or something for this, okay? For God. You might do that anyway, but I'm, I'm asking you, everybody. Set apart a half hour. Pick anywhere in the scripture you want. I don't care. Put your phone away. No face twit book stuff. N none of it. <laughs> nothing. Nothing can interrupt you, right? No. Yeah. You know, no TV, no, just turn the internet off, whatever. For half an hour, nothing but you and God and some passage, and you're just going to, even if you do all the talking, 
you're just going to dialogue with God over Scripture. I just want you to try it this week. Set apart a good half hour for it. 20, 30 minutes at least. Okay? Can you do that? Just try it. If you like it, keep doing it. Even if you don't like it, maybe keep doing it until you're sure <laughs> you're not going to like it. Good? All right. I have, yeah, it's pretty close. I'm going to let Gary, uh, I'm Brian, I'm sorry, I'm going to let Brian close while I go back and turn back into the sound guy. Um, just a quick testimony of like how that really works in real time. Um, it's been 33 years now that I've been saved, and uh, God delivered me out of 15 years of drug abuse like that. And when he did that, he told me, um, he said, three things have to happen. You have to pray, you have to be a praying person, you have to be in my word, and you have to separate yourself from your past life. Because he knew where I was from, and all my friends, my family were all druggies. And I completely separated myself. It was really hard the first year. I mean, it was like I was in the desert. But he delivered me, and I haven't touched this stuff since. Um, and he used that time to reprogram me, right? To hear his voice, to follow him where he wanted me to go, which has been quite a journey. Uh, I'll share that at some, some point. Um, so I'm going to encourage, Lord, we just want your people to be hearers of your voice. And this week, Lord, I pray over them that you would remove distractions, that you would remove any impediments from that process, Lord. They would push in. They would not let those things creep in. And they would take more than a half hour to listen to you. And that you would bless them in their efforts, Lord, and that uh, you would bring freedom in that. In Jesus' name, amen.